Well, good morning again. A <clears throat> um, couple more announcements. Uh, we got. We will be starting our Annie Easter Armstrong collection next week, probably. Um, I think. I think that would give us how many? Five weeks uh, to collect our Annie Easter offering. So we'll start collecting that next week. Um, we have not talked about it or worked out the plans or anything, but um, we do want to start a uh, fifth Sunday kind of outreach of some type. Um, we'll be talking about it in our fellowship committee and, and working on it, but I just since we have just one more week to get there, um, I wanted to go ahead and, and let you all know about it and, and kind of be getting some thoughts about it. Um, but we're excited about that. Um, and there was one more thing that I was told to mention when I got up here, and that one I don't remember. So, so, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we are working through... No, don't worry. I did make a uh, PDF version. So since we're, you're giving me just a second so graciously. Um, maybe that other announcement will come back to mind. <laughs> so the past, the past few weeks we've been having some technical difficulties. Um, and so I normally have my notes and run the slides by clicking on the slides up here. And we've been having some issues because there's so many people across the country trying to do it at the same time. 11 o'clock on Sunday seems to be a popular church time. Um, we've been having issues. Last week we got through with no problem, and I thought we were, we were, we were beyond, beyond the issues. Um, okay. But we, we will uh, we'll get through this. So, Lynn, if you'll uh, run the slides for me today. And we will, we're good to go now. So thank you all for being so patient with me. Um, let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for giving us a copy of your word. Father, we thank you that, that you care so much that we know exactly who you are and how to have a relationship with you. Because, Father, even though we don't understand why you desire a relationship with us so much, considering how rebellious we are and how sinful we are, you do. You love us that much that you were willing to leave your throne and come to this earth and die for us. And, and Father, you have pursued us and you have chased after us. And Father, we thank you for that love. We thank you for not giving up on us. Father, as we open your word, all this revelation that you've given us for us to, to know you and know about you and, and, and grow close to you, Father, I pray that you um, open our hearts and open our minds and enable us to be able to, to, to understand your word truthfully and rightly and that it would shape how we see you and know you and grow closer to you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and give everybody a heads up. This sermon is long, and uh, I will probably at some point pick a spot to stop, and we will finish it next Sunday. Um, there's just too much 
on this topic. There's just too much to talk about. I just cannot get it in. I tried, I tried my hardest to try to get it all in in one sermon, and I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, but we are working through the Bible, so we're doing the F-260 reading plan. Um, we started in Genesis in the beginning of January, and we're working through. Um, we're going kind of slow in the beginning, working our way through the first five books kind of slowly because they're so important and there's so much there. And we have found ourselves this week, we have made it to the, the ten plagues, and, I, and the last plague we know is what has become known as the Passover. Um, it is when the, the angel of the Lord passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb wiped on them. And so then it's instituted to remember that for then on. And so we are talking about the ten plagues and the Passover today. So let's recap where we've been so far on our journey. God gave us life and existence, and he created us in his own image. We sinned against him, and therefore we don't deserve eternal life with God forever. We rebelled against the one who gave us life, therefore we no longer deserve that life. From the very beginning, sin has destroyed us and has overtaken us. Adam and Eve's oldest son, Cain, killed their brother Abel. So we see from the very beginning the effects of sin and how disastrous and evil it is. God warned Cain that sin was crouching at his door and desired to have him and he must rule over it. And therefore we must learn from that, that sin is crouching at our door and is always desiring to have us. And so therefore we must learn to rule over sin in our lives. The world quickly spiraled into evil chaos. Angels were having children with humans, creating giants. Angels were sinning, people were sinning, and even all the creatures were sinning is my whole point. Genesis 6, 11, and 12 says this. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. So we see it wasn't just Adam and Eve. Sin had its devastating effects on all of God's creatures and all of God's creations. Therefore, God decided to start over with, as we're told, the most blameless man on earth, Noah. said Noah was blameless among his contemporaries, those who lived in his time. So God started over with the most blameless man on earth, Noah, his wife and his three sons and their wives. But even the most blameless man on the planet came out of the ark and became drunk and continued the cycle of sin. Even though we don't deserve eternal life with a perfect holy God who gave us existence, he loves us and has made a way for us to be forgiven without compromising his holiness or his justice. A willing substitute must be perfect and offer himself up for the punishment that we deserve so that we can go free. Even though that perfect substitute had not yet been sacrificed, had not yet sacrificed himself, God still allowed people to be forgiven, knowing that he would one day pay the penalty for them. So God wanted all people everywhere on the earth throughout all time to know how they could have a loving relationship with him, even though they were sinful and he was perfectly holy. He created and called a nation unto himself to show the rest of the world how we could be reunited with God and be forgiven and in right relationship with him 
now and for all of eternity. He called Abraham and promised him that the nation would come from him. He reaffirmed that promise with his son Isaac and again with Isaac's son Jacob, who God renamed Israel. Israel had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph, who God raised up to second in command over Egypt, and Israel's family moved to Egypt and became slaves there. 400 years later, we pick up with the birth of Moses. So let's first look at Pharaoh. Exodus 1, chapter 1, verse 6. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. A new king who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. I remembered, sorry, I know this is a bad time. But I remember that other announcement. <laughs> we, uh, we ran out of bulletins. This is why I remembered. We ran out of bulletins this morning. So I printed some more. I have them downstairs. And on the back of the bulletin, we have all these verses. So don't panic if you didn't get a bulletin this morning. All the passages that we're going through, all the verses that we're going through today, and the ones that we're not going to get to today are all on the back of the bulletin. That's what made me think. Okay. So the new king, to sum it up, the new king said, whoa, we got a lot of Israelites here and I'm getting nervous because if war breaks out, then they're going to turn on us. Why are they going to turn on us? Well, we haven't really been treating them very good, have we? They, they, they really don't like us because of the way that we treat them. Therefore, they were, the new Pharaoh was worried about the Israelites. Now, oppress them, forced labor. Okay. But all right. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. So Pharaoh tried as hard as he could to hold, keep a hold of Israel and keep them submitted to himself. Even to the point of ordering all of the Egyptians to kill all the Hebrew boys by throwing them in the Nile River. Y'all remember that? So right after this, Pharaoh goes and tells the, uh, the, the, the women that help the, the other women to give birth. Well, there's a name for that. Midwives. <laughs> Sorry. So he goes and tells the midwives and tells them, look, when the Egyptians, I mean, when the Israelites give birth, if it's a girl, you can let her live. But if it's a boy, you're to kill him. You throw him in the, in the river. The midwives feared God, and so they didn't. And then when the Pharaoh called them up in front and said, why is it that you're not uh, killing the baby boys like I told you to? They said, well, the Israelite women, they're, they're a lot tougher than the Egyptian women. They give birth before we even get there. We just, it's just out of our hands. And so, <laughs> so Pharaoh 
gets angry, and then what's he do? He tells all the Egyptians, everybody. He makes it a, a command across the, the nation to throw all the Hebrew boys into the Nile River to kill them. Well, <clears throat> Pharaoh was living out of fear of losing control. So we have to learn to not live in fear. What, what must we live in? We must live in trust. Pharaoh lived in fear and caused him to do great acts of evil, just like all kinds of nation, rulers of nations that we've seen throughout history. They, lose, they have fear. They live in fear of losing that power and losing that control, and so they create all this evil acts of horror. We must learn to live in trust and to trust God with our futures and to trust that what he has decided is, is right. But see, Pharaoh, he tried all this, but instead of killing all the Hebrew boys, he ended up raising one in his own household, adopted by his daughter. Now, Pharaoh had a Hebrew grandson from among those that he ordered to be thrown into the Nile, a constant reminder of the evil that he committed and how he failed. And his name was Moses. Moses was 40 years old when he tried to deliver his people from the Egyptians by his own strength. And he killed an Egyptian that was striking a fellow Hebrew. He accomplished nothing. And then had to leave everything and everyone he knew, including his family, to escape Pharaoh who tried to have him killed when he heard what Moses had done. Another 40 years later, God chose Moses to actually deliver his people. This time, not by Moses' power, but by his own power, an outstretched arm. Moses did not want to be the leader. He didn't want to talk to Pharaoh. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. He didn't want to be responsible for the people. And it showed. He did not believe he was qualified to deliver the people. And he wasn't. He made several excuses including not being able to speak well. God reassured him that he would tell him what to say and that God himself had created the human mouth and could give him clear speech. And after all Moses' excuses ran out, he said this in Exodus 4.13. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Don't we do that? Somebody asks us to do something. Well, you know, I'm really busy. We immediately come up with all these excuses. We get all these excuses. Oh, well, you could do that, or you could call so-and-so, or you could do this. Okay, I really just don't want to do it. Have you ever gotten to that point? Most of us don't. (laughs) Most of us, when we run out of excuses, we just say, okay. Most of us are not bold enough to just look someone in the face and say, you know what, I really just don't want to do it. But Moses did that to God. He looked God in the face after he ran out of all his excuses and said, look, just send somebody else. I don't want to do this. Then God got angry and he said, fine, I will send somebody else. I'm going to send your brother Aaron, but I'm going to send him with you. You're not off the hook. So you're going to be God to the people and Aaron's going to be your prophet to the people. That's how it's going to work. You're going to speak my words and and Aaron is going to, Give my words to be the intermediary to give my words to the people. But you're not off the hook. God chose Moses for a reason, and God does not make mistakes. Now, this is important to keep in mind, though, when reading the rest of Israel's history with Moses as their leader, that he really did not want to be their leader. 
Because as great of a job as he did, he still got fed up with them. He got angry with God for having put up, having to put up with them. But even still, he continuously interceded on their behalf and asked God to show them mercy when they rebelled against him. Moses was, the scripture says, Moses was the most humble man on the planet. He was humble. He got fed up and he got irritated as any of us would being in charge of these people who constantly, just constantly rebelled against him and against God. But every time God got angry and said, move out the way, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the planet because that's just what they deserve. Moses, every time, jumped right in and interceded. Please, please, please forgive them. Please forgive them. And the scripture, as we talked about last week, Moses was an interceder, but Jesus is our interceder. That Jesus himself intercedes on our behalf. When we sin and we failed, he pleads with God to forgive us. And that is a, a, a really reassuring promise that we can hold on to. Exodus chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 say this. We, we're, we're now we're to the Exodus. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, God says, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God had decided that it was time to call the Israelites out of Egypt to be a nation unto himself, serving him instead of Pharaoh. So to do that, first Pharaoh must let them go, right? They're all serving Pharaoh right now. So to call them away from Pharaoh, Pharaoh has to let them go. And Pharaoh has absolutely no intentions of letting that happen at all. He never has and he never will. So God decided that he will send plagues against Egypt to force Pharaoh to let them go. But one or two plagues are not going to cut it. Exodus three nineteen and 20 says this, However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go even under force from a strong hand. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that, he will let you go. So Moses went to Pharaoh and told him what God, that God said this, Exodus 5, 1 and 2. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord? that I should obey him by letting Israel go. I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. I mean, I don't, there's no way I'm getting through this sermon. There are just so many things packed into this, this story. It's just like every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, that's us. Yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. That's us. That's every one of us. Every one of us. Who is God that I should do what he tells me to do? Who is God that I should obey his commands? Who, who is this God that I should, I should do what he says even when I don't want to? I ain't going to do it. That's all of our hearts. That's, how every, that's sin. Sin is I don't want to submit to God's authority. I want to do what I want to do. And that doesn't match up with what God wants me to do. We should all not just look at these stories and say, oh, what a, what a bad person. Oh, I can't believe you were like that. We should look at every one of these people and every one of these stories and say, you know what? There's times that's me. That's me. I do that. God forgive me. 
So Pharaoh oppressed the Israelites even more. He told the overseers and the foremen to stop supplying the Israelites with straw for making bricks, but not to reduce the quota of bricks, and that they're to go out and gather straw wherever they can find it and keep making the same number of bricks. Now, the Israelite foremen, these are Exodus 5.19. Let's go to Exodus 5.19. Israelite foremen, they were Hebrews. They were Israelites. And they were put, given a task of being in charge of their own people. It works, it works better that way. You know, they, they, they don't tend to, to attack back their own people so much. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who stood waiting to meet them. And this is what they said. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? You're not going to lose that theme. That's going to stay throughout the whole story. Ever since I went into Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. I told you we're not getting through the sermon today. Here it is. Picture it now. God sends Moses and Aaron to deliver the people. Moses and Aaron go to the Israelites first and say, Hey, God has sent us and spoken to us and told us that he's going to deliver all of us from Pharaoh and that he told me to go tell Pharaoh to let us go and that he's going to deliver us and we're going to go. And it said that everybody celebrated and was joyful and was excited because God had heard their pleas and cries for help. So then they go to Pharaoh and they tell Pharaoh, let the people go. And guess what? They didn't get let go. Matter of fact, they were told, you know what? The reason you're asking to go wander off in the wilderness is because you're lazy. So now make the same number of bricks, but go gather your own straw. And if you don't, you're going to get punished and, and, and you're going to die. We'll kill you. And now they're terrified and they're angry and they're upset and they turn on Moses and Aaron and they're angry. And Moses and Aaron then turn on God and accuse God. You haven't delivered your people at all. And that is us all the time. We find ourselves in these hard situations in life. We, we look, you can look at a, a global scale. You can look at a national scale. You can look at your, your own personal scale. You look at the nation and you see how we're going and what things are doing. And you're like, you know what, God, I don't see you turning this boat around. I don't see you doing anything to save us. I don't see you rescuing us. You look at your own life and how it falls apart and all these things happen and cancer and all these horrible things. And you say, you haven't done anything at all, God. You haven't rescued me at all. And we find ourselves doing the same thing. We don't trust him. We live in the moment. We live in the here and now. We don't look to the future. We don't look to his promises. We don't, look, we don't hold on to what he's promised that he's going to do. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave us if we have cancer. He's not going to leave us if we don't have cancer. He's not leaving us. He's bringing us home. When you die, when we leave this place, because this is the only place we, we get focused on, we just think about the here and the now and what's going on right now. We don't sit around and think about what God has in store for us, that banquet table he has waiting for us, that he's going to feed us and give us a meal, and we're going to celebrate together, and we're going to live with him for all of eternity. We don't, we don't hold on to that. We don't look forward to that. 
We look forward to the, the little things right here and right now, things that are gonna, not going to last, that we'll never have again. All this stuff that we cling to, it's gone. It's momentary vapor in the wind. And there they are. And Moses, angry with God again. You haven't rescued your people at all. You made me look like a buffoon. Everybody, you know, you, know, you do something that you think, this is what God wants me to do, I do it, and then you get embarrassed. Then you get upset with God. You made me look like an idiot. It, it shouldn't be about that, should it? We should be content knowing that we're doing what God has told us to do. And we should trust that things are going to work out the way he wants them to because we're doing what he's told us to do. It's when we do what he has told us not to do that we shouldn't trust that things are going to work out. Moses again questioned why God chose him and accused God of not delivering on his promise to rescue them. At this point, Moses says, you haven't rescued your people at all. This is how God responded. Exodus 6, 1 through 13. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this land. You, You see, this is not something new. God's telling you, what I said is true, and it's still true. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, who the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out, of, out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians." I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Again, this is us. Something happens, life falls apart, and our spirit is broken. And we're devastated and we're so sad. And then somebody comes to us and gives us a promise of God. God said so-and-so. God promised this to look forward to. God has promised this. And and we say, you know, uh, don't tell me any of that. It's not making my situation better right now. And that's what the Israelites were saying. Uh, Don't tell me any more of his promises. I believe it when I see it. Things aren't any better tomorrow. I still got to make the same number of bricks tomorrow, and I got to stay up tonight finding a straw. Don't tell me any more about God's promises till I see it. We do the same thing. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from his land. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me, since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Moses says if the Israelites won't listen to him, then how's how's Pharaoh going to listen to him? 
Here again, Moses thinks that only persuasive speech is going to convince Pharaoh to release them. And Moses knows he is not going to convince Pharaoh. With so much wealth, we today act the same way. We know that God has told us what God has told us to do. But if we can't conceive of a way to accomplish it through our own power, we don't take that step that requires faith in God's ability and strength. So Moses and Aaron go back to Pharaoh, tell him to let the people go, and again, Pharaoh says no. So after this, God tells Moses to go out and meet Pharaoh at the Nile and inflicts his first plague against Egypt. I think we'll... uh, We'll talk about this first plague and then we'll wrap up and we'll finish this next week. So then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. This is Exodus seven fourteen. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning. When you see him walking out to the water, stand ready to meet him by the bank of the Nile. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a snake. Tell him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But so far, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. Here is how you will know that I am the Lord. Watch, I am about to strike the water in the Nile with the staff in my hand, and it will turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron... Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, canals, ponds, and all their water reservoirs, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his officials. He raised the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink water from it. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. This is really significant because the first plague that God sent against Pharaoh was turning the Nile and all the water in Egypt into blood. Eighty years prior to this, the Pharaoh of Egypt filled the Nile with the blood of Hebrew boys in an attempt to make sure that they always served him. And one of those boys became his grandson. And now him and his brothers, his brother Aaron, are being used by God to remind the Egyptians of the blood that they filled the Nile with by turning it all to blood. Throughout Egypt, so that everyone would be reminded and confronted with their sin and the murder of of innocent children made in God's own image. The first plague, I'll go ahead and give you a little synopsis. The first plague, he turned the river to blood because they had filled it with the blood of Hebrew children. And the last plague is the death of the firstborn male because that's exactly what they had commanded, the death of all the Hebrew males' children. I'm going to Hold off on the rest of this until next week. No, it's not. I'm not just trying to get you to come back. But if it works, I'm not ashamed. 
But there are so many things in the story of Moses and, and, the, and, and, and throughout the whole Bible, but there's just so much here. It's so rich. The Bible is so rich and full of, of, of things for us to, to learn from and understand and know so that we can learn how to not make the same mistakes, how we can learn to see our own, the same sinfulness in ourselves and that we can grow into a closer relationship with God. God goes through so many links in order to show us how to have a relationship with Him how to be in relationship with Him. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several, several weeks as we're working through this story of, of God bringing the, calling a nation to Himself. And He wants the same thing as He did then today. He wants a relationship with every one of us and every single person that we know. Every person that you know, He desires a relationship with. There's nobody off the table. There's nobody that, that He doesn't care about, that He didn't make in His own image, that He doesn't love. And so therefore we need to grow closer in our relationship with God and we don't need to be ashamed of it. We need to show it. We need to share it. We need to tell about God's love to the people that we know and that we love. And so I, I would beg you, if, if, there's, if you have any questions about your own relationship with Christ, if you, have, um, if, if, if you think that, you know what, maybe, maybe it's all just been for show up to this point. Maybe it's, maybe it's not real. Maybe I've just been walking a walk but I haven't really meant it. From my heart. I'm telling you, the beauty of God's salvation, the beauty of God's love and desire for us to be saved is that you can be saved today. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops and do more good than you've ever done bad in your life. He doesn't make you turn around and try to earn it. You can know that you are saved today by trusting in Him and surrendering your life to Him. We repent and believe. Turn from sin. Sin's the reason you're separated from God. Sin's the reason he had to come to earth and die for you. Sin's the whole reason for all this mess. And all he's asked you to do is just just stop. Just just turn from sin and turn to me. Because when you turn from something, you have to turn to something. And so he said it's a one-step process. You know, it's not a do this and do this. You've got to have both. No, it's a, a one-step. And if you haven't done that one-step process, you haven't done it. You are turning from living for sin, and you're turning in the process to living for me. And that's all I ask. Turn to me. Love me. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love me with everything you have and trust that I'll save you. Trust that I'll forgive you. Trust that I'll give you life. Trust me. Place your faith in me. Trust me for your salvation. That's all he asks. First John tells us that we can know. He said, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you are saved. God said so. He said so. You can know. And so if you don't know, then I beg you, be reconciled to God. Ask Him to forgive you. Tell Him, You just want to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that you want to be with Him forever. And He will. He promised He will. He will forgive you, and He will hold you to the end. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Father, I know that this room is full of people who love you. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have made 
being forgiven and being made put back in a right relationship with you, you have made it so easy on our part. All we have to do is just decide to, to turn to you, to trust you, to love you. And Father, you've done all the rest. You, you made the sacrifice. You sacrificed yourself. You came to earth, lived as a human in the person of Jesus Christ, lived as fully man and fully God, and willingly gave yourself up as a willing sacrifice, as a substitute for us. You lived the life we were supposed to live, and you died the death we were supposed to die. And you offer that forgiveness and that life to any who would place their faith in you. And Father, I pray that there's not a single soul in this room who has not placed their trust completely in you for their salvation. If there is, Father, I pray that they make that decision right now. That they say, Father, I love you and I'm sorry. I know I can't save myself. I believe you can save me. I beg you to save me and I trust that you will. Father, I, pr I know that there's people on, on the hearts of every person in this room, people that we are concerned about, that we know that we, we're afraid, we're either afraid that they're not saved or we know that they're not saved. Father, I pray that you give them the heart of love and wisdom of words to share the gospel clearly. That's all that matters. It's just got to be clear. doesn't have to be convincing, just like Moses didn't have to be convincing to Pharaoh. He didn't have to be didn't have to be persuasive of speech. He just had to speak your words clearly. And that's all we have to do. We just have to share the gospel clearly, make it clear so they understand it. And you have promised to do that work through the Holy Spirit, to draw them, convict them of the sin, draw them to yourselves. And you do that regeneration, the salvation through the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. We can never, ever, ever thank you enough for your love. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Let's have our closing song. If y'all would stand with us.